Ephesians chapter 4, we started a message uh, last week uh, in our series on what, would, what did Jesus do, talking about how Jesus managed his actions rigorously. We talked about how we're all gifted and we've all been given specific gifts and talents and abilities. And we started talking about that uh, a little bit. And we're going to be talking about that as, as far as um, it goes with uh, the way Jesus worked among other people and how he managed what he did uh, and, and how he approached the actual things he did, ministry he performed. Let's go ahead and read Ephesians chapter 4, beginning at verse 10. It says, The one who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens to fill all things. And he, gave, uh, and he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers, equipping the saints for the work of the ministry to build up the body of Christ until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of God's Son, growing into maturity with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. Then we will no longer be little children tossed by the waves and blown around by every wind of teaching, by human cunning with cleverness in the techniques of deceit, but speaking the truth in love, let us grow in every way into him who is the head, uh, head Christ. From him the whole body fitted and knit together by every supporting ligament promotes the growth of the body for building up itself in love by the proper working of each individual part. There's a couple phrases in this passage that that are very applicable to the message this morning one is in verse 14 <laughs> we will no longer be little children and the second part is in verse 15 speaking the truth in love that's a phrase that we use an awful lot when we talk uh, we uh, we justify ourselves many times by saying harsh things to people well i'm just speaking the truth in love and that's a little bit of a misapplication, but we understand where we're going with it. Um, this morning's message on managing our actions rigorously uh, hopefully will, will two, two, those two things will, will shine through. No longer being little children, being able to accept hard truth, being able to look at ourselves and examine our attitudes and actions and the way we prepare to reach and meet others and build the church, build God's kingdom, the way we interact with others, and um, speaking the truth in love. I'm going to be honest with you. I've, there's, there's not a lot of times that I'm really uh, a little scared about preaching a message. I get a little nervous. Uh, if you know me, you'll know that I'm not a real, uh, a real great public speaker. Um, I, don't like, uh, I don't like being in front of people um, until I preach. And that's the big difference, man, when I'm preaching because it's serving God. It's what I've been called to do. It's what I was made for. Um, at least I think so. Um, I'm very comfortable with it. Uh, and to, to, to prepare a message that I battled with and questioned God about, are you sure this is what you want? Um, and then just prayed and prayed and prayed and asked God for the strength and the will to preach. Uh, understand that this morning I really true, truly desire to preach the truth and speak the truth of God 
in love. There's no anger or animosity. There's no hatred uh, in what I'm going to be saying. Uh, but it's the truth. And it comes from a heart of love and a desire to see the kingdom of God built. Now, before we can ever hope to effectively reach our community as a church, we must learn to get along with, love and minister with, and to each other within our own church. The honest truth is that even though we've accepted Jesus as our savior, we still struggle with personality conflicts, differences in opinions, styles, likes, philosophies, and backgrounds. The challenges to overcome our own personal idiosyncrasies and preferences is one of the most difficult challenges that most of us will ever face when it comes to ministry within a church. In fact, many people stop going to church because they just can't overcome the personal struggles of how ministry is done. Or, or first piece of truth in love, or who is in our church, right? Many times people will just stop going to church because of who is there. When we started having young families with children come in, um, there were some people here at the time that weren't real happy about that. I remember years ago when I first came back and started talking about building the church and growing and things like that, I had a couple older individuals come up to me and say, you know, Pastor John, I really appreciate your, your passion. And Zach will remember this. I really appreciate your passion, but I like my church the way it is. I really don't want to see it grow. Like, okay, okay. I, I understand your point of view. However, <laughs> some of the hardest struggles you'll ever face in being a church member are those people sitting in the chairs next to you or across from you. That's just honesty. Overcoming our cultural backgrounds, our heritages, our church traditions, basically all of our differences is an absolute key to the success of our ministry, and it is incumbent upon all of us that we make strong and bold efforts to look beyond our own desires and ways and reach out to everyone within our church and attempt to work together in unity and harmony. Understand this, failure to do so will result in ineffective ministry and the ultimate death of our church. No doubt about it. So looking at all of this, and some of those ominous statements I just made, how did Jesus effectively address the differences within his group to be successful himself and to make others successful as well? Because that is what we're talking about. What did Jesus do with personality differences? What did Jesus do with cultural differences? What did Jesus do with different backgrounds, with people from different religious mentalities, even within the Jewish faith, there were those who had a more traditional sense and those who had a more progressive sense? What did Jesus do? How did he overcome the attitudes towards him? Because it's not always about our attitude towards others. Many times it's about how people see us and let's be honest, you know when somebody doesn't really care for you, right? You know when you're not somebody's cup of sunshine, right? And dealing with that rejection or that 
spirit of, let's call it what it is, that spirit of division is a very difficult thing to do. Yet it's incredibly important that we as individuals understand and learn how to rise above these things so that we can build the kingdom of God. How, what did Jesus do? What exactly did he do? How did he do it? Before we ever get into our talents and abilities, we must address our attitudes. The first thing he did was this. Jesus committed to serving responsibly. Jesus committed to serving responsibly. Being responsible and serving was a priority for Jesus, a commitment. That's why he drove himself to fatigue. That's why he, when, when the, he took a, a long walk to get to the next place, before he, before he laid down for the night, there was still a crowd there, and the Bible says he was moved with compassion and met their needs. Jesus was committed to serving responsibly. If he said he would... He did. If Jesus said he was going to do something, he did it. As members of a church, if we commit to something, the Bible tells us it's better to not commit and not follow through than it is to commit and not follow through. So we need to understand that it's okay to say no. Some of you need to hear that. In fact, let's say that in unison. On three, one, two, three, it's okay to say no, right? It is. It's okay to say no. You do not have to be the East Coast distributor of involved in everything that goes on. Because, let me tell you, as one who leads a ministry, if you commit and don't follow through, it falls back on me. And I hopefully have people who will come and stand in and step in. I have no problem in a church not doing a certain ministry if we don't have the people to run the ministry. I have no problem with that. We are very, we, we try to be a very simple, straightforward ministry. That's not a problem at all. So it's important that we understand, just like Jesus did, if we commit, we do. We follow through. Jesus even went beyond his main focus in ministry. We just had, wow, we, we just had two announcements for two meetings this morning. One for after church, right? One is for the car show, which is the next Saturday. One is for uh, uh, this, this Saturday. Okay. We had a debate about this and next in our house this week. Anybody ever have that debate? Yes. This and next. This Saturday... It's the next Saturday, Correct. right? Am I right? Can I get an amen from the congregation? Thank you very much. This Saturday is the next Saturday. If I say on Sunday, this Saturday, then it's Saturday, right? We'll see what I say that next Saturday, Okay, thank you. Thank you. See what I mean? See what I mean? And we get along. We get along very well. Okay? But it's <clears throat> those, those people, Brian, who is leading the car show, is really counting on people to follow through. Mary, I don't know if you noticed or not, but Mary is really close to having twin sons. 
Mary is really counting on her team. She's really counting on her team to be part of that. It would be better for the leadership of those ministries if you're not going to follow through, just not to show up. Nobody's going to think any different, any, any, bad, any worse of you. We've got to remember that if we commit, then we do. But also, if those are not your areas of expertise in ministry, if that's not how you're gifted, it's okay to still volunteer. It's okay to still get involved. Because Jesus went beyond his specific calling. Jesus was called, Jesus came into this world to die for the sins of the world. While he was doing, while he was going and working to that end, he did a whole lot more. He came to preach. He came to proclaim the, 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 the good year of the Lord, right? That's what he said when he stood up in the temple. Yet, remember, he's also the guy that fed 5,000 or more people with five biscuits and two fish. So it's okay to go beyond your, your main area of gifting. That's called serving responsibly. Not only did he serve responsibly, Jesus ministered biblically. This is a tough one to pin down today because people want the latest and greatest. They want to bring the outside in. They want to bring the, 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 the ways of, for lack of a better term, the ways of the world into the church. Pastors consider themselves CEOs now rather than pastors. I'm not called to run a business. I'm called to lead a church. I read a great book. I think it was John Piper wrote the book. It was called Brothers, We Are Not Professionals. It was written to pastors, and it's so true. I'm not here to manage a business. Now, there's a business side, don't get me wrong. But that's not what we're here for. We're here to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is our calling. And we need to remember that. Jesus ministered biblically. Jesus literally wrote the book on how to be a responsible Christian. You know that? He literally, literally wrote the book on how to be a responsible Christian. It's called the Bible. So Jesus ministered biblically. He committed and he consulted and quoted the scriptures often. Many times Jesus said, have you not read? Was it not... Is it not written? As Moses said, so many times in his ministry, Jesus consulted and quoted the scriptures. When it comes to ministering within the church, we need to make sure we're doing it biblically. If we're going to serve responsibly, that means doing things biblically. And Jesus valued unity. In John 17, verses 20 through 22, it says, I pray not for these Pray not only for these, but also for those who believe in me through their word. May they all be one as you, Father, are in me and I am in you. May they, all, may they also be in us so that the world may believe you sent me. I've given them the glory you have given me so that they may be one as we are one. Jesus valued unity within the church. Disunity will stunt and destroy any ministry's effectiveness. Understand that. Disunity within the church, disharmony... Division will destroy any ministry's effectiveness. The second thing Jesus did, and this one, use a little new age phrase there that I'm not real crazy about, but I didn't really know what else to call it because the church hadn't been established yet. But Jesus participated in his faith community respectfully. He participated in his faith community respectfully. 
Luke chapter 2, verse 46 says, After three days they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. He was 12 years old. He was 12 years old. And Jesus sat among the elders and the leaders of the, of the temple, respectfully answering questions, listening to them, taking in what they had to say, and teaching them. The Bible says he was even confusing and confounding them with his knowledge. But he did so respectfully. He wasn't uh, taking things over. He was respectfully speaking with the elders. Colossians chapter 3, beginning of verse 15 says, And let the peace of Christ, to which you were also called in one body, rule your hearts and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell richly among you in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another through psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatsoever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. We're called to minister in our church, but we're called to do so with integrity, character, and respect for others. Respect for the leadership, respect for those who are ministering, respect for others who park their cars in a parking lot, whatever it may be. We're called to interact with, uh, with each other with respect. How do we participate respectfully? First of all, we give respect. Dave Willis says, show respect to people who don't deserve it, not as a, reflection, not as a reflection of their character, but as a reflection of yours. Show people, even those who don't really deserve it, show them respect, because that says more about you than it does about them. So we give respect, and then we model respect. We need to be able to get along and be decent with each other if we ever expect to make a difference in our communities, especially in our church. If you can't respect someone with whom you'll be sharing eternity, how can you hope to respect those that disagree with you? If you can't respect and work together with respect and get along and at least respect each other in here, how in the world can we expect to do something good out there if we can't even respect those with whom we're going to be spending eternity? And thirdly, we need to teach respect. Billy Graham said, a child who is allowed to be disrespectful to his parents will have no respect for anyone. We need to teach respect. So we give respect, we model respect, and we teach respect. Listen, my, my two boys, my two little boys are just like my oldest son. Very active. 100% boy. Aaron uh, spent three and a half hours yesterday playing catch. And I came out and we threw and the boys were out there. And it was a great time as a family. She was out there for three and a half hours. Ask her to raise her hand today. Her arm is so sore. And my, my, our, our sons are 100% boy, and you know what I mean by that. They are just 100% boy. But I'll tell you what, I want them to be 100% boy, but they better do so with respect. My boys, when we go to the store, we open the door for a lady. We open the door for the elderly. We help them. They hold the door for me because I am the elderly. Uh, <laughs> I, uh, we do those things. Listen, I know in today's society, uh, there are women who hate that, and I've had women glare at me when I've opened the door. I would rather deal with your glare than my 85-year-old father smacking me in the head <laughs> for not being a gentleman. That's the way it's supposed to be. Respect. I expect my boys to be... Listen, when they bring their report cards home, same thing 
for, for in our home goes when, for when we were growing up, because Aaron's parents were the same way. I, I really want them to get good grades, but I want to see their conduct more than anything. I want to see the way they interact with their teachers, the way they treat their peers, because the way they do that is the way they're going to grow up and interact with humanity. And as a Christian family, I want my boys to respect themselves, respect others, because they are bringing the message of Jesus Christ to this world. So we need to participate respectfully. Now, all that builds up to point number three. And I want you to understand, before we get to point number three, none of that was aimed at any specific issue within the church. Because I know you start talking about respect and things like that. You're thinking that, oh, there must be something going on. That's not what it is. I don't, I don't prepare my messages by looking at the congregation and make a message like that. I pray and, and I, I'm led by the Spirit um, to, to bring a message. So there's nothing like that going on. But those first two points build up to what we're about to talk about. And this is what I have battled with over this week. You can ask Aaron. It's, uh, it's been a, a focus of prayer in my life uh, over the last few days, struggling and battling with this because this is a difficult subject to talk about uh, in many areas. Maybe you won't think so, but I think that if you don't think so, you should probably re-examine it. Jesus, point number three, Jesus practiced colorblindness when it came to others. Amen. Jesus practiced colorblindness when it came to others. This might be an uncomfortable conversation, but it has to be had. We as a church are doing amazing things for Jesus among several different uh, ethnic groups. <laughs> Without our, within our community. But there's so much more to do that, it isn't getting, that isn't getting done across all areas of our society. And it isn't getting done, you ready? It isn't getting done because of prejudice and racism. There's so much that's not getting done. See, I see some people squirming. Yes, it's an uncomfortable conversation to have, but it has to be had. And the Holy Spirit has been heavy on me this past week to make sure that this is said today. And it's going to get better, I promise. Consider these facts. Springfield, Massachusetts. And Melvin, I'm sure you have better statistics than I do. I got this off the, um, uh, one of the, uh, the census sites. So, but I think they're pretty close. I've, they, they're, they're, um, they're, uh, there's several different sites that have these numbers. Springfield, Massachusetts is 33% white. It's 41% Latino. 21% African-American, and 5% other. Springfield is called a minority-majority community. We are in East Longmeadow. If you walk about 100 yards that way, you're in Springfield. Okay? We are right next to... In fact, uh, the golf course that we sit next to is, a connect, uh, is connecting... Um, is, is three different communities. It's Springfield, East Longmeadow, and Longmeadow. In fact, the girl that, how many of you golfers know there's a beer cart that goes around? I don't buy from it, leave me alone. I buy the M&Ms, okay? <laughs> and the Diet Coke, because that makes it all better, right? And the caramel M&Ms, you know what I'm saying? Caramel M&Ms and people, have you ever tried, I know we're way off track, but this is important, it has to be said. <laughs> caramel M&Ms and peanut butter M&Ms. You get those things, my, my brother, 
you get those things together and you put them in your hand and you pop them in your mouth and you chew them at the same time and it's a little slice of heaven. I'm serious. I feel much closer to God. And I wash it down with a Diet Coke. Now, and that, there's only 11 holes that the girl that drives the beer cart can go on because they only have the liquor license for one town, East Long Meadow. So she can't, go figure. So she can't drive onto the Long Meadow holes, which are up on the first tee, and she can't drive onto the Springfield holes, which are on the back nine, down by, uh, over your neck of the woods, okay? So then she has to stay over on this side. So Springfield is that close. Springfield is minority majority city. East Long Meadow, the town that we live in, the town that we minister in, is 97.5% white. And they like it that way. I've been told that. I've lived here since 1977. And I've been told many, many times that the leadership of our town intentionally keeps the tax base and keeps the value of homes high enough so those, they'll never, men, they'll never say who the undesirables are, but we know who they are, can't move in. And that's why 97.5% of our town is white. A minority-majority community within spitting distance. See, I told you it's uncomfortable, isn't it? Now, nationally, it's not just a problem here. Nationally, 79% of all Americans attend a church where their race is over 80% of the congregation. We hear traditional what? traditionally white churches, traditionally black churches, Latino churches, right? 87% of all churches are considered all of one particular race, white, black, Latino, or Asian. This is, this is simply a continuation of the old segregationist mantra if they swim together or eat together or go to school together or go to church together, then they'll want to date each other and get married. And now we're going to be mingling the races. Am I right? And now we're going to be mingling the races. And that's what they say is not right. Ministries have been built in this country. Colleges have been built in this country based on that mantra that we've got to keep them separate. Bob Jones University, the college that my high school was, was modeled after, would not allow African-Americans to, to, to go to school there until the 70s. And just recently, in the last 20 years, allowed interracial dating. Strangely, this is no secret to any of us, is it? We all know that. We all know that this is an attitude. Martin Luther King Jr. said, it is appalling that the most segregated hour of Christian America is 11 a.m. on a Sunday morning, the same hour that many stand to sing, in Christ there is no east or west. We had an amazing worship service this morning. Last Sunday was an amazing worship service. And like I said, our church, we, you look around, we are, we are becoming much more colorful in our church. We are seeing, we, and, 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 and we're going to talk about that here in a minute too. Um, it's, it's awesome. It's awesome to see. But we are not representative of this entire 
region. And this morning we sang a song called Reckless Love and it, it literally drove me to my knees this morning. During that I, I got down on my knees and I prayed. That song is amazing. But what's even more amazing to me is that there are those who would rather sing it in an all-white congregation or an all-black congregation or an all-Latino congregation because that's just the way it needs to be. Folks, that's wrong. It's sinful. <laughs> and in this church, if we're going to move forward, and see, this is, all, this is not just a, simply a statement of race. Please, uh, this is not a political statement today. I'm not running for office. I'm not trying to make a, a statement of any kind except this. If we expect to reach our community with the gospel of Jesus Christ, we must be just like Jesus and be colorblind, truly colorblind, in our heads and especially in our hearts. Amen. Now the real hard part. My wife and I now live <clears throat> with the real fear that, my two, that our two youngest sons will be harassed in their own hometown because of the color of their skin. As a father, I live with the anger of knowing that my two eight-year-old sons have already, already been victims of racism in their own hometown. When I talk with my black and brown Latino friends and say that to them and talk to them about that, they look at me with a knowing look that says, welcome to my world. Because they and their children live with that reality on a daily basis. Daily basis. We have men and women in this, in this congregation that have been profiled and pulled over in this town by the police because of the color of their skin. I'm appalled that black and brown men, friends of mine, and others I've known, and other, others I've never known or met, good men, have been harassed simply because of the color of their skin, and that in my country, the one that I gave part of my life to serve and defend, men of color are killed over nothing, nothing, by police officers who are sworn to protect and defend. I'm embarrassed of my town, that it's unwelcoming to people of color. And if you don't believe that, talk to any person of color in this congregation, and they can tell you of their own experiences, and they can tell you of their friends who don't feel that they are welcome to come to church in East Long Meadow because simply of the color of their skin. It embarrasses me, and I'm sorry. I'm sorry it's that way. And I promise you that I will work to make sure that this church is known as a place where everybody is welcome. Everybody. I'm ashamed of a white society that excuses those officers and blames the dead or beaten men all the while knowing. All the while knowing. Now, you may have been with me. You may have been against me up until that point when I say that I'm ashamed of a, of a white society that embraces the officers. But let me tell you this. 
If I had been pulled over, or I was the one on the street, a white guy, I wouldn't be dead today. Like those men of color. That's the truth. Like it or not, that's the truth. I am ashamed of that fact in this country. That people that look like me excuse those men. Horrible, horrible actions. And I'm ashamed of churches in America that are satisfied with being segregated because they say they worship with a different style music than we do. When what they really mean in private is that they're very comfortable keeping things separate. Folks, those are the facts. And it's sad that at this time of our history, this is still a topic that needs to be addressed. And like I said, this isn't a political statement. I don't, I don't promote any politician, except Melvin Edwards, because he's a dear friend of mine. I love him to death. We don't, we, we don't politicize anything here. So this is not a political statement. Not anywhere close. This is all about ministry. This is about ministering in the community in which we live. Of the over 200 people that call themselves New Lifers, a very small percentage live in our town. Most of you live in Springfield and West Springfield and Chicopee. Some live in Enfield. Some uh, in, I don't think we have anybody for Holyoke. Did I say West Springfield? Uh, in Agawam. So most people don't live in our town. We're talking about your town. We're talking about your neighbors. How can you ever expect to invite your neighbors and expect them to come to you with, to church if they think they're not welcome even to cross the borders of the town in which your church is located? We've got to do something about that. And it starts in here. Let me just say this, my little statement Racial segregation is evil and of Satan. It is divisive. It is unbiblical and ungodly. It is mean and hateful. It is arrogant and small-minded. It is just plain wrong, and it is absolutely no place in any true Bible-based fellowship and will never be acceptable at New Life Church as long as I lead. Amen. Amen. Never. You will never see the Confederate States of America flag flying anywhere near this building. Yeah. Ain't going to happen, folks. Ain't going to happen. Thank you. But these are my words. What does Jesus himself have to say about that in his word? Galatians chapter 3, verses 27 and 28. For those of you who are baptized into Christ have been clothed with Christ. There is no Jew or Greek, slave or free, male or female, since you are all one in Christ Jesus. We're all one in Christ Jesus. What in the world are we doing dividing ourselves in any way, shape, or form? 1 Corinthians 12, 13, for we were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we were all given one spirit to drink. Listen, if you have darker skin than me, you have the same Holy Spirit inside. If you have lighter skin than me, 
I am Puerto Rican after all. I, I, I am. I, uh, just go with it, okay? Um, you have the same Holy Spirit living inside you. If you're Brazilian, you have the same Holy Spirit living inside you as an American. It's the same Holy Spirit. We are the knuckleheads that divide along these lines. We're the bigoted people, the racists. I'll say it. We are the racists who divide along these lines, not Jesus. And we're wrong and in sin if we divide according to race, especially in church of all places. God, help us. 1 Samuel verse, chapter 16, verse 7. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or his stature, because I have rejected him. Humans do not see what the Lord sees, for humans see what is visible, but the Lord sees the heart. Revelation chapter 7, verse 9. <clears throat> John's talking about a vision of, of heaven. He says, After this I looked, and there was a vast multitude from every nation, tribe, people and language which no one could number standing before the throne and before the lamb they were clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands there are those who would make those old segregationist statements that check this out see if see how this sits with you okay actually pastors from the early half of the 20th century up until 1960 or so preached that the, 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 the slaves should be very thankful that they were brought to America by the white slave traders. Because, and here's their reasoning, because, and, I, and by the way, I read this, I did this research this week, had my blood boiling. They, they reason this, that the slaves were brought to America and were evangelized. And what should have happened was we should have then sent them back to Africa to evangelize the continent. Oh, okay. That's wrong, by the way. I'm just saying. That's such convoluted thinking. It's just insane. The lengths we will go to to not admit our sin. The lengths we will go to to not admit the hatred and animosity we have in our hearts towards others simply because their skin is a different color. These things ought not to be, folks. John says heaven is comprised of a rainbow of colors. John 13, verse 14, I give you a new command, love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. It doesn't say love the one with the same color skin. It says love each other. Dealing with racism as a Christian is not a social or political issue. It is doing what Jesus would do issue. We're not called to win elections or to fight culture wars, but we are called to reach people with the message of Jesus, to reach all people with that message. This isn't about becoming warriors for social justice or taking up a, up a cause. It's about evangelism, plain and simple. It's about building the kingdom of God by reaching everyone, no matter what. Accepting and embracing those of other races is not just about getting along and everybody being treated as equals. It's not about knowing, it, it, it is about knowing your community so that you can reach them with the love of Jesus, that you can, so that you can minister effectively 
among them. I've talked with pastors in this area, and they see the Puerto Rican community. They say, that's a mission field for us. No, it's not, man. They're your neighbors. They're your neighbors. They're your neighbors. I'll say it again. They're your neighbors. You see, when you look at it as a mission field, you look at yourself up here and them down here. I grew up, we, we moved in Springfield in 76 when uh, uh, the Latino, um, Latinos were, were, were really starting to move. Puerto Ricans were really starting to move to Springfield in the 70s. Job opportunities, things like that were coming up. So I, I, I went to school in, at Van Sickle in junior high over in East Springfield. Played baseball for Van, Van Sickle Vikings. That's right, Van Sickle Vikings, yes. And the basement was for um, those who spoke Spanish and were learning English. And then they were mainstreamed into the rest of the school. And I watched as, as more and more Puerto Ricans, and it was very, very important to me because, yes, I was born in Puerto Rico. Sabo, Puerto Rico. I was born in Puerto Rico. And if you go to the island, I go to the island with you, they will say, I am more Puerto Rican than somebody born up here. That's just the way the culture is. Anyway. <laughs> And I say that because you should see why you should see white people talk to me about that. You're not Puerto Rican. Okay, I don't really care what you think. But why is it such a problem for you? Am I right, Amber? Why is it such a problem for you? Why do, why do you get so offended by the fact that I claim to be Puerto Rican when in fact I am? Why does that get you so upset? Or why do you say, I actually had somebody say this to me, Lewis. Well, you're one of the good ones. Oh, hell no. <laughs> well, you're one of the good ones. You see what I'm talking about? This is the kind of thing that we've got to deal with and overcome. It's not about getting up on a soapbox and making political statements. It's not about social movements. It's about seeing people as Jesus sees them and dealing with the hatred and animosity and anger in your heart towards those who are different. You may have been raised that way. I'm sorry. I grew up in the South, in the Mid-South, and there were a lot of people that were raised that way. I understand that completely. Just because you were raised that way does not give you an excuse to be a racist. That pretty, is that clear enough for you? Just because you were raised that way does not give you the excuse or give you the right to look at those of a different color skin in a different way than you look at your white neighbor next on the other side. We're all people for whom Jesus Christ died. What does this have to do with our church? Go back to the beginning of this message with all those statistics. We are a minority-majority region. We are, we are split up where... We truly are a melting pot. We are a microcosm of America with so many different um, ethnicities. And if we simply say that we're going to be a white church and sprinkle in a couple people for flavor, then we're leaving out over half of the community. If we don't deal with the feelings in our heart that are ungodly and unspiritual towards those of a different race or those of a different color or those of a different ethnicity, if we don't stop seeing them as, a, as, as 
people who are lesser than us that we need to deign to reach down to or start ministries for rather than embracing them into our church just like we would our white neighbors or for those of you of color, just like it would be of your black neighbors or brown neighbors, then we're never going to reach people the way we're called to reach them. It's about knowing your community so that you can reach them with the love of Jesus. So where do we go from here? How do we go beyond society? How do we go beyond our history? How do we go beyond our raising? How do we go beyond our traditions? And how do we go beyond our attitudes as a church? What, should we, what can we do as individuals? And I mean work hard to do as individuals to overcome the, I'll use the term, the institutional racism that permeates society, permeates our town, the town that your church is located in, and maybe even has a hold in your heart. First thing we must do is we must learn about each other. I have sat down with, um, with brothers of color, and I've made no secret about the, the conversations I've had with Melvin, and Melvin's been a great mentor for me in this, and I thank you, because it's taken some time for the lessons to get through, but they have gotten through. I've spent time talking with Lewis at the gym and, and other uh, brothers of, of color at the gym and, and found out, listen, the stories I hear on the news, the ones that they cover, are simply the tip of the iceberg. Sit down and talk with our brothers and sisters of color who get pulled over in a parking lot because of their brown skin. Am I right? Rebecca? True story. Talk to her about it sometime. Here in this town. Sit down and talk with your brothers and sisters of color. Brothers and sisters of color? Sit down and talk with the white folks. Get to know each other. Learn the real stories that make us who we are. Find out how, how similar we are in so many areas of life. And find out the differences. Celebrate those differences that are within our upbringings. Get to know them. You'll find that a lot of these different ethnicities, and this is in terms that I can relate to, have some really good food. <laughs> My gosh. Am I right? Praise God. Go to Osvaldo, man. Have a Brazilian barbecue at Osvaldo and Flavia's house. Lord above. Oh, I believe they're going to be cooking for God, for, for the marriage supper of the lamb in heaven. With that bread on the, gr oh my gosh. Anyway, anyway, I can get way off topic when it comes to um, food. We learn about each other. Second thing is we must embrace our differences as special. Not as different, as special. There's a reason why we are who we are. We, we celebrate our differences as in sports, right? Sports fans, I congratulated our Minnesota family. <laughs> the twins, any, and I told them, anytime you knock the Yankees out of the record book, it's something to be celebrated, right? <laughs> Yankees fans, I just lost half the church. <laughs> Celebrate 
or embrace our differences as special. Third, and this is, this is one you may have to build up to. But listen, I've laid it out here this morning, have I not? I've been very honest and very open. So I'm not going to stop now. We're just going to take the next step. We, condem- we must condemn racism in every form, especially within the family of God. We must condemn it, not overlook it, not look beyond it, condemn it for what it is. It's wrong and it's sin. And it will divide our church. And, it, and let me say, let me tell you, this goes back to that first thing we must learn. Seriously, sit down and talk with people of color and ask them about their friends who don't feel welcome to come to this town. Ask them about, I dare you. It shamed me and angered me at the same time. And it's not just one. Story after story after story. So much so that if I ever hit the, like the mega bucks, the $500 million, I would buy all the houses that are for sale in East Long Meadow. <laughs> and I would move my, my black and brown friends in rent-free. You can live here. Come on in. Come on in. We'll get it down to 90% white. <laughs> right? Next thing we must do is we must love each other in words, attitudes, and actions. Not just to be cool, but to truly fall in love with our brothers and sisters in Christ. I love New Life. I was talking with another pastor this week, and he's very complimentary of what's going on here. He says, what, 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 you've, what your church is doing is just awesome, and I'm very thankful for that. And I said, listen, man, I love my church. I fell in love with it in 1976 when my dad moved us up from Maryland. I've loved it. It's been a love affair for over 40 years. I love this church. Thanks for saying yes, Dad. I want my church to be a beacon of hope for everybody. I don't like the fact that my two little boys are going to have to have that conversation. I'm going to have to sit down and talk with them as Melvin has shared with me, what I'm going to have to say to them about being brown in this society. But I don't want my boys to be angry about that. I want to raise them in such a way and provide a church for them that is such that they love even those police officers who may harass them because of their skin color and realize that they need Jesus too. And if they already have Jesus, they need to be shown where they're wrong. So we need to love each other. And lastly, probably most difficultly, we must confront our own demons with the healing power of God. There's been a lot of support here this morning. But I know there's been a lot, there's, there's some of you that are kind of stewing in your hearts right now. I understand that. And I know that when you talk about this, there are strong opinions on both sides. Well, I never owned slaves. I'm just speaking truth, man, right? I never owned slaves. Not my problem. Okay. Okay. Let me tell you. 
confront your own demons. Because let me drop some truth on you. It is your problem. Go back to what I said at the beginning. There are people that don't feel welcome in this town or in this church because of that attitude. And if we don't confront our own demons in our own hearts on how we view others, the stereotypes we have towards other races simply because of what we've been told or what we've heard, then we're wrong and we're in sin. We must confront our own demons with the healing power of God. Close it out with Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 14. Heal me, Lord, and I will be healed. Save me, and I will be saved, for you are my praise. Heal me, Lord, and I will be healed. Save me, Lord, and I will be saved, for you are my praise. Bow your heads with me in prayer, will you please? While your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, listen, I know. Boy, I know this was a tough subject. For some of you, it was a very uncomfortable morning. For most of us. Please pray about it. <laughs> That's all I can say. Pray about what God would have you do in your own heart on the matter. I know it's difficult. But my concern is that we are a church that goes beyond every border and every wall. Especially those of color that divide us. And that we reach everybody. And that everybody knows there is a place they can go that they are welcome. Father, thank you for the opportunity this morning to be here in your house. Thank you for the freedom to preach your word. Thank you for the reception of your people. God, when we talk about issues like this that, that blend society with our faith, God, it becomes very real and it becomes very difficult because for many people, it is the way they were raised. And Lord, the topics that we talked about today, there are strong opinions. Father, I'm not asking to sway public opinion to my side. That's not what this is about. God, what I ask is that you will give your Holy Spirit freedom to minister to the hearts of everyone here. Lord, some people, this is what they, they wanted to hear. This is what they've been wanting to hear in a white church. For, the, for others, they thought they'd never hear it in a white church. None of that matters, Lord. What matters is how we receive it in our hearts. I pray, God, that this church will be a church that is solidly for you, nothing else for you, and all that means. God, would you break down the walls in our hearts so that we can begin to break down the walls between others and reach everybody with your message. Bless us as we go from this place today. God, may we honor you. May we go forward as worshipers, healers, lovers of people. 
your precious holy name we pray and ask all these things. Amen.